0: I was pouring from an empty cup. And so today, things like giving my husband space so that he can make dinner (laughs) and I can receive that and not feel guilty for resting on the couch while he does that, not feeling like I have to jump up and help, Mm -hmm. or um, if I receive you know, um, some space, some margin in my schedule, not feeling like I need to fill that with something productive, uh, a consultation or a networking meeting or something, right? Like I can just receive what that feels like. And, um, it is giving me so much joy just to like, see like what comes with that when I'm receiving and my husband's doing that thing. He feels good he feels, you know, uh, validated, like his skills are you know, adequate. And, and then my kids come and cozy up with me on the couch. And then I get to receive even more of their like, just wanting to hang out with me. This is the Finding Joy After Burnout
1: podcast, a podcast for therapists and mental health professionals. Together, we unravel burnout and find our road back to joy. Here's your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett. Hello, Monica. Welcome to the Joy After Burnout podcast. It's so great to have you.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome.
1: Awesome. So I'm going to kick it off to you and just ask you what your burnout story is for our listeners.
0: Yes. Well, my burnout story probably goes way back into even grad school, but I won't take you all the way back there. Um, I really will say I know, like, it's it,
1: so true, right?
0: <laughs> Where does do it even begin really with us? See it? Yeah, we're sort of pulling the thread all the way back there. Um, but I will say it really kind of came to a head around 2017. And so For me, what that looked like at the time was I was working full-time in county mental health as a um, supervisor and like quality assurance manager and auditor for charts, as well as uh, providing direct clinical services to school-based children. And I loved my clients. I loved my coworkers. I loved the clinic I was working at. And I was doing that full-time. And I did feel that I was paid adequately for the work that I was doing there at the time. But what I was finding was that there was like this call to get more experience with a different population. Like, I just, that's how I would term it at the time. Like, I just want to get a different experience, like working with adults or working more with like complex trauma was sort of what I was feeling called to explore. So I stepped oh. into. Right. <laughs> so it's interesting calling. Into a yeah. Pop- Yeah, no, it'll make sense. (laughs) Go, yeah, yeah. So I, um, so I actually started to kind of pursue that on my own in a private practice setting, and just sort of exploring like, what does it look like to work with adults? Like, I've been working with kids for at that point it was about nine years, and was just like, what does this even look like to have a client who is willing, who comes in, who's not court mandated, who's not you know mandated by the district to do anger management or something? Like, what does this look like for somebody who? wants to do therapy to grow in their self-awareness. So I started to feel called to to look at that into private practice. But again, I had three kids under or yeah, three kids under five and I had a full practice, like in the community mental health setting. Um so I was totally maxed out. I really did not have the bandwidth to take on any exploration of that. But the fact that I was being called to that, I think really now looking back in hindsight was a huge red flag that there was something, a deeper need that I was feeling called to explore. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I acknowledged how um, disconnected I was. I don't think I acknowledged how burnt out I was because I was in the throes of it, right? And um, one thing that I'll say with my clients often is like, it's hard to read the label when you're in the jar. And for me, looking back, I can see like, I was dissatisfied. I was disconnected. I was burnt out. I was unfulfilled. Um, And so me looking into working with that hard population was really just me trying to get out of the situation that I was in that I wasn't ready to acknowledge wasn't working. Um, So during all of that time period, I really started to have a lot of relationship distress in my home. Like Me and my husband were not doing well and it really took him sort of saying like you're kind of snippy when you get home and he said it probably not that gentle <laughs> um and was like you know i don't think you're very happy with what you're doing and i was like what How dare you i love being a therapist <laughs> i love this work what do you even mean like I'm a great mom. I'm doing all these things for all these people. Like I was so wrapped into the identity of what I was doing yeah, that I couldn't even see that I was sort of like acting as a martyr almost, right? Like mm. I was quite literally lighting myself on fire to keep the clinic running, to keep my caseload going, to help now these people in private practice, like I was forming a like way of self soothing myself like being really needed being really helpful yeah being a rock star like the, like I was really in that identity at that time and I needed that for whatever reason but it took my husband calling me out on it to realize like oh shoot I am doing this and it's it's hurting me and it's not ideal for me and it's totally burning me out so That sort of was what put me on the path of like really doing a deep dive into some healing work and really doing a deep dive into like what were the core beliefs that were driving me to burnout.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking like, what are some of those core beliefs that maybe? Yeah, you're not the only one. I'm sure that there's a lot. I think there was a lot in what you said regarding like, you know, themes of being the martyr, themes of like holding up. Your clients, your family, your children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was so much of that that um, was like a secondary gain for me, right? Like there was some secondary gain in that, but it was costing my relationship something. Mm-hmm. And so while it was maybe feeding like parts of my ego and parts of me, right? Like it was, it was doing its job. But it could not, like those parts of me, could not see how they were directly impacting other parts of my my world and my my authentic desires, Um, the things that I valued in my relationship, how I wanted to be showing up, were being impacted. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I talked often. I don't even know if I talked about it on the last podcast. Of you know what a seven client or six client day took for me when I got home was that. Things were more irritable for me. So kids being children, mm-hmm. just doing what children do, like kicking yeah. the table or <laughs> yeah. too active boys doing all that. It was <laughs> grating. I didn't want people to talk to me. I'm yes, like, I have emoted enough today. And yeah. so I think it was, is coming out for me in frustration and short temperedness and not being emotionally available or connected at home. Um, and also my partner saw it too. But I think I was just I was much more like, I am I am I'm done with this. Like I need to find a way out or I need to change it. So I was definitely much more like talking through that the fit wasn't great for me. Yeah. Especially in solo practice. Being so yeah. isolated. And so I think um that was that was huge for me. So um you know, I'm wondering about like the self talk and and maybe some of those core beliefs that that you were alluding to.
0: Oh, yeah. Man. There's, there's. Where do we begin? Uh, there's a lot, and I think um, I can speak for myself, but I've I've also spoke with a lot of um, burnt out therapists. So there's that reflection, this parallel process that can sometimes happen. As I'm speaking to them, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I so know that thought. I so know that belief. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so many of us grew up in situations where it was good to be helpful um, where we, in some cases were reinforced to be the emotional breadwinner. Right. Um, And so we don't necessarily get that same reinforcement to know ourselves, to speak for our own, right. What do you need? What do you want? What do you like? Right. We are more conditioned towards the external. Um and serving and helping and being good right um not taking up too much space and so while i know that's my experience like i said i've i've heard from a number of therapists that they there's some parallels there for them too and i just think that that those beliefs when they are so subconscious when they are so when they're so at the root it's hard to recognize that that can sometimes be driving our behaviors. Um, wanting to be high achieving, wanting to be successful, wanting to be really good at what we do, never making mistakes. Yep. A lot of times those tendencies could be coming from a more painful past learning. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, thinking like then that last point, thinking about grad school, right? Like yes, most of us were, most of us are very high achieving people. We were, we're great students. And we were like, I got to get an A. Uh, I was yeah. not so much on the have to get an A, but it definitely was high achieving. Uh, <laughs> thinking about one of my really good colleagues and friends, they were very much like, I need to get like a 100, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I got a 97.2. Yeah. I really need to get that 100. And I think about the parallels to therapeutic work, you know, like, are we, are we trying to get
0: 100? hmm no <laughs> yeah exactly well some folks are really like that that is their motor right is that i i want to see that reward i want to see that output right like and i think that if we're not conscious of that that could be at the root of our burnout right mm-hmm. i don't get that output i'm putting all my best efforts in and i don't necessarily see that translating to that 100 like you can yeah. when you're in something like grad school and you have a direct input and a direct output. Right. Right. So if that isn't a subconscious motor for you, um, yeah, it makes sense why you would burn out because you're just doing this work, putting in your best and not necessarily getting that direct feedback.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think that was, was also part of it, you know, having a practice for a long time, seeing clients for a long periods of time. There were many, many successes, like don't get me wrong, but there were also those sessions and clients with their own clinical concerns and, you know, due to like complex trauma or, you know, those conditions that are really hard to treat. And I think as the therapist, it's only natural. And I think normalizing that you take that on, you take the success, quote unquote, of that, that client on yourself. They're not improving, that means there's something wrong in me. That's mean I'm doing something yeah. wrong. I'm not doing the correct therapy. Maybe I need to go to this training. Maybe it's EMDR. <laughs> <laughs> brain- oh, brain spotting. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's gonna yeah. be the ticket, you know. <laughs> so I think we we have that mindset and I think take those lack of successes on as a personal failure which I think only contribute to that burnout, only contribute to us feeling as if we're ineffective and that all this effort we're putting in is for naught.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love that you you highlight that because again, at the root of that story is I'm not doing this right. Like, Mm -hmm. where else have we said that in our life? Am I borrowing this narrative from this past experience and, and applying it here, generalizing it here into my work? Um, that's sort of how I, I I think of it, and I look at it. And when I work with with my coaching clients on this, it's like our work and our relationship to work is a relationship. The way that we relate to our work is a canvas, and so if we have relationship attachment wounding,s And we have narratives that we've built and meanings that we've made around those attachments. It makes so much sense that we would now use our relationship with work as a canvas and project those same narratives here into our work. Not Mm. good enough. Have to get it right. Have to be perfect or else, right? Like those narratives that we may be acquired in early childhood, we just sort of bring with us everywhere we go in the work. Um. Right. And and, and, so and that that the narratives is, we're
1: taught, you know, and the narratives that are inherent in our profession. So, yes. you know, what came up for me a lot in in doing my own work and like closing the practice and all this, starting my practice even was very vulnerable. Um, I had a I had a son who had a heart condition. So I I couldn't go back to work. So I started it like six months after my son was born. And I just felt like oh every corner I was like, Am I doing this right? Am I charging Oh, they're charging that. Okay, th- so I have to to charge this much because that's what the right price is. Mm. Oh, I have to use, oh, I have to do all the insurance because that's what everybody else is doing. And so I think, um, and also like the ethics of therapy, you know, of course we want to be ethical providers, but I think that often comes at our own expense.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, we make up these stories about what happens and like how this could get me in trouble or right. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I mean, that's just what we know about our nervous system. And like, these are theories that we've studied and applied, but why won't they apply to us? Like when we're starting our businesses or when we're relating to the work, our private practice brings up for us, like there's a lot of vulnerability. Um, So of course our nervous system is going to have a reaction to that. Is this safe? Is this unsafe? Is this a threat? If I do it this way, am I gonna die? Right. Like those are the questions of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so when we can acknowledge or attune to our dysregulation, I think we can mobilize a little bit more like comfortably and in our alignment without this like dark cloud of threat and doom and ethics and all this stuff over us. Right. There's this more internal permission. I can trust myself to make the right choice. I can move forward with this decision. This is the right decision for me, right? Like attuning to our own self and what we need opens up that nervous system to move forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I it, I think it requires that, like that deeper work within yourself, doing your own therapy, <laughs> yeah. working so, through your own, own nervous system. Because I think we're, we're constantly, you know, hearing these voices. And usually there's like one therapist or two therapists in the back of our minds. It's like, yeah. Oh, you're one of those therapists that's not using insurance, huh? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Isn't it our ethical imperative to you
0: to bill insurance? Right, right. To be accessible to everyone. <laughs> I'm like, does everyone have insurance? Uh, does everyone have the same insurance? Like, doesn't that mean at some point, even in my being accessible, I'm unaccessible to someone else? Like, mm-hmm. ah, the narratives.
1: The narratives. But it's it's part of it. I mean, it's part of what I yes. hear all the time.
0: It's so real. Yeah, it is. And I think, again, like you said, that when we're doing our deeper healing work, we can own our stories and we can separate it out a little bit more from other stories, right? And, and so I can see myself a little bit more clearly when I'm differentiated from all the like, oh no, how do we all do this? We're all sort of in this dysregulated state of like, ah. Post-COVID, private practice raising fees, can we do this? Like like all of this noise, right? It's easy to get sucked into that if we're not, you know, in our grounded embodied self. Yeah,
1: totally, totally. So maybe talk to me a little bit about like your journey to start working with other therapists. Like what, what maybe was the calling there and mm-hmm. what that road has been like for you?
0: Yeah. um, Well, so after 2017, like um, I had to do like a life overhaul, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm really burnt out. Like things have to change. I'm not showing up the ways I want to. So I actually left county mental health and went full time into uh, private practice. And um, what I actually found myself doing was recreating a lot of the systems. That I had in <laughs> county mental health that led me to burnout. I like replicated everything because I was like, "This is how I'll be safe. This <laughs> oh is boy. how I won't get I in know, trouble." I know, right? I know. <laughs> I'll do the exact same documentation. I'll do the exact same everything, right? And I'm like, I'm building Medicaid, even... and I'm going
1: to make all this money.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see six clients a day. I literally was seeing six clients back to back in private practice, and I was. Hating going to work, and I'm like, I'm literally the boss. What, what does that say about me? <laughs> so yeah, again, I,
1: you are your shitty, you're a shitty boss to yourself.
0: Yeah, totally,
1: <laughs> totally. And so because like, I said okay. the same thing about myself, I'm like, what
0: am I doing? My boss sucks. <laughs> she won't give me any time off. I have no <laughs> lunch break. Oh wait, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. So yeah, it it was. It was that it was in almost me recreating that exact same burnout, and I was like, "Okay, crap! Like I did it again. What is this? What am I doing? What's going on here?" So again, I just sort of peeled more layers back and um, got more clear about what I really wanted, who I really want to be as as a person, as a therapist, like how I want to show up, what kind of work lights me up, and what kind of work drains me, and I got really really clear on that. But it took me working with coaches to get that outside feedback and perspective because, again, I was in the jar. I could not read the label. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing this? And a lot of what came up was like, there was this belief around it's safe. Like If I do it this way, it's safe. If I do it this way, I can't fail. And so what I really found was I was really protecting myself from showing up and being seen, being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Right? um, and failing were two of the biggest core injuries, wounds that were leading me back into these burnout cycles. Um, so in that coaching program that I was in, I was amongst other therapists and, you know, there was a lot of me twos, right? Like, oh my gosh, yes, this is my struggle too. And I really just started to see like, this isn't just a, a Monica thing. Like there's a lot of us that are struggling with this. So like, where have they been all my life? because I felt so alone and I felt so much guilt and shame when I was in the throes of my burnout, like again, what am I doing wrong why do why am I bad at this? right? Like I failed yeah. right? Mm-hmm. so there was a lot of that story. But
1: other therapists got it right, and they can like yeah, see all these clients it. and yeah. But I think I was really validated though, because like most of the, I guess after the pandemic more so, many of my therapist colleagues are like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, what am I doing? Like, Uh how did you get out, Jen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and I mean, that's what I was finding was like, oh, you secretly fantasize about leaving too? Like it was, again, a lot of me twos. like, oh, like you're looking at jobs at Trader Joe's too? Like, yeah, like I hate this. What else can I do with my degree? Like, just seeing and hearing more of those stories, I think, helped me to feel less alone. And I'm like, why don't we do this? Why don't we do more of this? Right? Mm-hmm. There's there's so much fear around outing yourself as a therapist who's burnt out because there's ethics. There's the, yeah. the imaginings about the other therapists with pitchforks that are going to chase you out of your license. Like, ah, I'm mm-hmm. going to report you to the board. You're burnt out. How dare you? Um <laughs> And... And so there's these again these fears and these stories that actually contribute to us carrying it alone longer. Yeah, and that's yeah, even- one of the main drivers is being alone, unsupported, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interjected.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was I just had this thought. I mean, I so I'm a psychologist, and so when I I do evaluations now for school is my main gig, uh, and even in that I was like I cheated. <laughs> yeah like i sidestepped out of therapy you know i'm still using my license but i kind of just like cheated and if i was actually a therapist maybe i'd like a you know i was a master's level or something like that i'd have to like figure it out and i didn't have to like figure it out so even in that it's like yeah there's this (laughs) attitude of like you know we have to put ourselves through so much pain in order to figure all of this out and I just don't think that's true anymore <laughs> yeah but I felt that it was at the time I mean I was I was just I love your saying you can't read the label on the jar if you're in the jar or something like yeah, that
0: you can't read the label when you're in the jar
1: yeah <laughs> I was so deep in that jar it was like there's stuff like piled on top of it and like clawing to get out
0: same yeah and it's like uh, it there's very little perspective. And again, there's not a sense of like, there's anybody else in here with me. Yeah. Um, And and yeah, just all the shame around like, if this is easy for me, if I actually enjoy this, right? Like if I actually set up my practice to where I'm seeing less than 15 clients a week and I'm getting paid a living wage that like supports me and my family and I freaking love it, like, but I'm not taking assurance when I don't, I'm not working for free, or I'm not right. Like ah ah, there's there can be again this this belief that there's a right way to do things and a right way to suffer, and yeah, um, anything any departures from that is entitlement or selfish or unethical or a violation in some way, right? Yeah. Um. So, but again, I think that the folks who are the most judgmental about those those things are the folks that are in the jar. Um, yeah. And they're like, how dare you? How dare you get out? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
1: and I yeah. you know, I, I used to feel a lot of anger towards them. Those statements. I remember reading, I remember reading a post from a low, very local colleague, but I will not share who their name is, <laughs> <laughs> but I would see him at the bank and stuff. And they'd just be putting all, I mean, just venom. Or therapists who would be like, I'm self-pay, and this and that. And they'd be just posting comments like, this is what's ruining our field. This is what's reducing access to people. Yeah. I still see them. And like for like a year, every time I saw them, I'm like, oh my gosh. But yeah. now I'm just like, you just don't get it.
0: You just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, think sometimes, yeah, the judgment, and- the criticism. Mm-hmm
1: and like i just feel like therapists have permission to do it whatever way they can stay in the field that they want to stay in the field do whatever it takes like we need more therapists so it, i'd rather have a therapist charging a full fee working way less doing fantastic work loving it yeah than not having that therapist at all because that's mm-hmm. what happened to me
0: or, or or i think even more dangerously is like the one who doesn't even realize how much they hate it and maybe or having that resentment towards their clients yeah, yeah, and like that lack of spaciousness and just actually doing the unethical work. Mm. Right. Because they, they don't even name it. They don't even acknowledge it or accept it within themselves. I think that's the scariest part is like that, that could happen too. I mean, at best you realize, Oh, I don't love this. I get out. Um, at worst you don't. And you stay in and you, keep going for the cause and you really burn out.
1: Yeah. And then you, you know, you don't have caring for your clients and you damaged relationships with clients. You hurt clients. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone sets out to do that, but it happens. I, we hear stories all the time, you know, on Facebook groups and (laughs) things like that of therapy gone wrong.
0: Yes. I'm always surprised at the, the comments of the therapy gone wrong when it's a therapist across from you, like, right, right. I would, I would hope that if you're going to be a provider to a therapist, that you would be a little bit (laughs) conscientious of some of these things. Um, but yeah, I'm always very surprised. Like, wow, even, even though you're working with another therapist, that's how you show up. It's very, very concerning. Mm -hmm. So yeah,
1: but I just think it's lack of resources too. You know, I, I always I, I do have empathy for that therapist, even though I know their ethical imperative is to take care of their burnout, is to take a break, take a pause. But I also feel like those systemic barriers for therapists to do that, you know, that it can it can feel like. There's no one else in the jar with me, like you say. There's there's no room or space for me to take a break because I have to work. I have to see this many yeah. clients to like make ends meet. Yeah. So I also see like the larger societal problems that are set up for therapists that have to make these difficult choices. And I hate that. I hate that for them. That's why I hope, like, I'd love for there to be, like, therapist unions. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that would be a dream.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. Where we I are... Think, yeah.
1: I mean, would it be so bold to say that we could charge as much as a medical doctor for insurance? Yeah, yeah. What our, our services are, I believe, equal to what we receive for a a medical treatment. We won't get even started well, on dentists and what they charge.
0: Okay, I know. Well, but I'm <laughs> just like the the even the amount of time and consideration and thoughts. Energy, right? Like that I get from a primary care physician when I come in and I'm out within, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking to the provider versus what I do in the chair with my therapy clients, right? Like that's so much more in depth. There's so much more connection and and resources that that takes. Um, I'm like, man, if we could get paid for what they get paid, you know, wow, even a chiropractor, (laughs) me, you know, (laughs) that's good work. So yeah, I'm with you on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of my um when I raised my fees, I think one of my mantras was like, um, I listened why can't I remember? Oh, Tiffany McLean podcast. I don't think she does the podcast anymore, but I listened to like the whole like all of the her podcast about raising fees and even though it didn't work for me because I think I was just like way burned out and I was like, that was one of my solutions. I was like, I'm gonna raise my fee. That's gonna be one of my solutions. I was just like so far (laughs) down the road at that point. But I think one of my things was like, you know what are your dentists? Your dentist doesn't care about charging. You, you know, they're just going to send that bill and it's not even a thing we think about. for some reason we have internalized that therapists aren't supposed to earn money, aren't supposed to charge yeah. this type of fee. So mm-hmm. that was one of my mantras when I was kind of on that path of, of fee raising and all that.
0: Yeah. Well, again, there's um, the money as a canvas, right? And, and it's like the relationship we have with money and the relationship that, that we have with with our work and what we believe it's worth um the value of our services that we provide, right? It it should be a basic um something that's accessible to everyone, right? Like it should be that this this need that folks have for mental health support should be accessible to everyone. Truly. And yet, who who falls for that, right? Like who, which therapist is gonna go and, and be the one that's the only one that's doing that, right? Like that's not sustainable. That's not possible for, for a provider to, to, to offer that, that should be a systemic thing. Yeah. Right. That has to be set up in, in a different way. And so really, if, if I am going to be the provider who doesn't, you know, that takes all the insurances, that doesn't charge cancellation fees, that sees clients nights, weekends, all throughout the day, whenever my clients are available for it, like if I'm just going to be super accessible, the one that's going to suffer there is going to be me. Mm-hmm. Because my needs aren't going to be met. I'm not going to take up, I'm not going to expand and take up the space and say, here's what I need, right? I'm just going to be accessible. And um, it's like a sponge that's soaked up and never gets wrung out.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, part of that human giver syndrome. That women many times fall into, you know, mm-hmm. we're the mothers, we're the caretakers, we're the therapists most often. Our profession is female identifying dominated. Yep. And so we tend to care, we tend to give to our own detrim- detriment mm-hmm. until we can't.
0: Yeah. And we collude with that. Mm-hmm.
1: That identity is inherent. Yeah. Like I give, I give. That's what I do. I do that. Oh yeah, I'm a therapist. That's what I do.
0: Yeah. And so yeah, it, it's sort of a, an act of rebellion to say, like, no, I'm gonna have some boundary here. I'm going to ask for a need here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give and I'm gonna love giving, but I'm also gonna be able to receive. Um that that goes directly against those those beliefs, right? And so it is somewhat of an act of rebellion to to choose to show up other in a different way than that.
1: Yeah. I agree. It's so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So tell me a little bit about, so you're still practicing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. What would you say to a therapist
1: who wants to continue their practice, but is feeling like I can't do any more one-to-one. I don't know how to change this but I really feel the drive to continue to stay a therapist.
0: Yeah. Those, those folks are my people, (laughs) the ones who have this passion to do what they're doing, but they are feeling like it's completely unsustainable, that they don't know how to show up in a different way. Um, What I would say to those folks is um, you can heal from this. Uh, it may not be an overnight fix, right? It's oftentimes not. Um, but when we can get to the root of what is driving you to those patterns and those tendencies, it's possible. You can heal from it. Um, and you can love this work. You, you really can. Um, but it's going to require some decisions, um, some some radical responsibility and some radical self-honesty. Um, to sort of get things back more in alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I typically recommend in those situations is you got to do that nervous system work, right? There's a lot of survival energy that's stuck in the body and we can't play. We can't um, be curious or creative. We can't conceptualize like, what could it look like? We can't really dream it up when we're yeah. in a state of survival, right? So first things first is we have to regulate that nervous system and get things a little bit more in order there. And once things are a little bit more regulated, then you can play. You can say, what what do I like to do? How would it feel if I had a four-day work week? How would it feel if I only sell three clients a day, right? What if I played with the types of interventions that I use, right? Like then, then you could be a little bit more curious and exploring,
1: mm, yeah,
0: how this work could work for you. But you got to get out of survival mode first.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you we know, don't. I, you know, for myself, reflecting on my like fight or flight phase <laughs> <face> in the <laughs> pandemic, uh-huh. which was pretty protracted. I think I was trying mm-hmm. to lean into that curiosity that where can I take my practice while in fight or flight and so I wanted to make all these changes but that was driven from fear it was driven from my sympathetic nervous system yes. so if it's coming from that place it's coming from like I'm gripping this practice so tight and it needs to work like I remember actually I launched a online program yeah like based and it was a really great idea and I had a podcast and all that and I um, I was like this is the thing that's gonna like free me. (laughs) Yeah. From this. Totally. But I think I was gripping it so tight and wanted that to be the answer. And it wasn't the answer. The answer was that I had to start with regulating my nervous system. And I was, but I wasn't. And it didn't happen until I started really peeling back. So I really talked to people about, what can we take away first? (laughs) Yeah. You are overwhelmed. Yes. There is too much going on, right? Yeah. We cannot add to dysregulation we will get more dysregulation actually
0: exactly exactly that is and, and again your story is very similar to mine right like i something had to change and so i went and i did more right
1: like yeah <laughs> of course but like the answer is always more it's always private like,
0: practice like I'm okay let's have a private practice on community yeah. let's go yeah more 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 right because that is the energy of that sympathetic nervous system mm. fight mm-hmm. you know all your way to the top of the jar, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just that same fear-based energy of like this is working. Tells us but us how I've to, got to, to get, to... yeah, totally. it, But it's the antithesis of therapeutic work, yeah, <laughs> and, and healing, <laughs> right. and healing. We don't go hard and fast in healing. We it's slow, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love that you say like, what can we take off? I with my clients, I'll say you got to do less. You got to do it lightly, easily, softly, slowly, less. Right. So, how can you do your nervous system saying go? Okay. But how can you do it lightly? How could you do it more easily? What about softer? Can we go slower? Can you still do the things you feel like you have to get accomplished? But could we just try first to do it a little bit differently? Yeah. Right. Cause sometimes the idea of peeling something off is like, but then the algorithms, right? Like, everything's <laughs> going to drop, right? Like, how do I let one thing go? Right. It's, it's, it's hard, I a, yeah, I mean, all it's the like, plates are spinning, so it feels yes. like you
1: know, oh, the practice my family like da, 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 da. yeah like, if i if I relinquish just that tight control, like I will fall, I will fall apart, my clients will fall apart, the world will like, yeah, and I think with the pandemic, like the world was literally falling apart, when I was falling literally. apart, my clients were falling apart, the world is crashing, and mm-hmm. so it was a unique activity in like radical surrender yeah to slow down because my body stopped me my body started having pain attacks when i was driving okay (laughs) this is new
0: (laughs) i guess i'll listen now yeah it's well it's like that's me right
1: my body was like hard stop and that sometimes Mm -hmm. that happens in burnout our body does a hard stop and we have no choice and so I think that's the caveat that I would tell folks is that you can't get to the point where your body will just say no more. So if you're if you're on those edges and you're feeling like, oh, I'm getting crusty, something is needs to change, to listen to it, mm-hmm. your body is speaking to you about the change you need and yeah. it, it starts at a whisper
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then it really gets pretty loud from my own experience and what I've heard from other yes. people.
0: Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of fear for folks to slow down and listen when they are in that run, in that sprint, right? That running from the bear, sympathetic energy. And it, it makes so much sense, right? Like when you are, if you were literally running from a bear, you wouldn't pause and reflect and come in. You wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense and it wouldn't be adaptive. Um. And yet, that's what's needed. And mm-hmm. so, but what, what the bear does,
1: that- you know, what the bear does after that sprint, after that run, or let's think of like prey, you know, if they, yeah, if they get away, then they discharge that energy. So they'll do an action where, like, if I, I don't know if it's like a, mm-hmm. a classic trauma video where, like, the animal kind of like flails its its legs and kind of discharges it, and then has that parasympathetic release.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if we're not letting our nervous system have the natural rise and fall that it needs, then we stay in sympathetic. We stay. stay stuck.
0: Yep, totally. And so while I, again, I have so much empathy for the folks who are like, I can't slow down. I can't, you know, it's like, I can't stop. Like, when I'm like too far down the mountain. Like I'm running full speed. Like I can't slow this train down. Um, again, you're right. It starts with a whisper. And Sometimes the ways that we can just start coming back in to that connection and ability to listen to our our nervous system and our body is just the simple things. Like when your stomach growls and it tells you it's hungry, you eat a snack. When you feel like you're thirsty, you let yourself get a drink instead of waiting holding. I'm going to finish this note really fast and then I'll go get something to eat. Like what or, if we just Oh god. pee when you need to pee. Yeah, please. <laughs> if you don't have time to pee in between your clients. My dear one, please. Please change something there. Yeah, that's <laughs> but that's literally what I mean. Like Yeah. It, those are the simple ways that we can start listening and maybe it doesn't feel like a full like 20 minute embodied meditation or yoga practice like i hear you like for the the people in your audience who are like i don't have time to do one more thing i can't listen to myself i can't journal i don't have any more room i hear you i don't want to use my skills <sighs> yeah they, these don't think, these <laughs> things don't work for me you know um okay but could it start with that one thing could it start with i'm thirsty i'm going to take a drink i'm tired i'm going to rest I have to use the restroom. I go now. I don't wait. I don't ask I don't ask my body to keep holding and squeezing and waiting. I just listen. Right? Then your body will start to trust you that you are in alignment with it, right? That you care, that you're listening. And then it will start to give you more information and feedback about your experience. Um and and you can start to, you know, create some plans from there. But yeah. that's one of the tips I give it. Like absolutely you have to listen to your body, but like it doesn't have to be this long, drawn out meditation or spa day or vacation. Like it's actually those really simple, unsexy coping skills, those simple things that have a huge payout.
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah. But it's, I think it's just starting small, you know, can you end session five minutes early? Can you? Yeah, I, I worked with a neuro rehab population, so I, I know about overwhelmed nervous systems. You know, can mm-hmm. you do like, a, we have a 20-20-20 technique. Can you stand, stare out 20 feet in the distance, 20 mm-hmm. seconds every 20 minutes? Even with clients, yeah. like I I would practice that with clients. I was like, all right, we're about 20 minutes in, probably getting a little fatigue. Let's just rest our eyes over here. Like if we were looking at the screen, yep. for example, yep. I forget I was walking away from I was sitting back from my mic. Uh, <laughs> but all those things, I think we can even model for clients in session, trying to, trying to help co-regulate but we are we are helping ourselves through yeah. that it can be part of our therapeutic practice
0: yeah isn't that awesome like then y- you're actually enhancing your clinical game which mm-hmm. means you're going to probably be more effective at what you're doing which means you're probably going to feel more rewarded or fulfilled by what you're doing because you're going to get that output right <laughs> you're going to get that yeah. feedback like hey that actually felt good from your own nervous system or from the co-regulation and um yeah I think that's one of the best unintended consequences of me doing my healing work was like hey I'm actually like a better therapist now like whoa I wasn't even I didn't take a training I didn't do a weekend retreat or intensive on how to do this thing I just like did my work and it actually made the work feel better for me
1: yeah I mean I think like being in EMDR therapy personally for over a year made me a great EMDR therapist And Mm -hmm. actually, I have one EMDR case right now, which is a new thing. I'm going to probably do a whole podcast on just doing one therapy case where I'm contracting with right now. It's kind of cool. I'm like enjoying like a little bit of that, bringing that back into what I do. I'm not starting a practice, though. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not sprinting right back into it. Yeah, no, no,
1: no. no. Mm -hmm. We're just dipping our toe in. We're just going to see how it is. Just had session one. This week. So so it's interesting, I think. So we are rounding the corner on the, on the end of this podcast episode. So Monica, I will ask you before we close, how are you finding joy?
0: Oh, I am finding joy in receiving. And gosh, Monica from 2017 would be like, what does that even mean? Um, I was a giver. I was pouring from an empty cup. And so today, things like giving my husband space so that he can make dinner (laughs) and I can receive that and not feel guilty for resting on the couch while he does that, not feeling like I have to jump up and help, or Mm -hmm. um, if I receive you know, um, some space, some margin in my schedule, not feeling like I need to fill that with something productive, uh, a consultation or a networking meeting or something, right? Like I can just receive what that feels like. And, um, it is giving me so much joy just to like, see like what comes with that when I'm receiving and my husband's doing that thing. He feels good. He feels, you know, uh, validated. Like his skills are, you know, adequate. And and then my kids come and cozy up with me on the couch, and then I get to receive even more of their like just wanting to hang out with me. They're still, I mean, they're still young enough that they enjoy me and want to be around me. Uh, I have one that's twelve, so he's um, probably getting to that place where he's getting ready to. Leave me <laughs> to go be a
1: teenager. Oh, yeah,
0: so I'm I'm a ten year old, so I have a little time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just really enjoying that receiving, receiving um, from the people who love me, who want to support me. Receiving that margin, uh, the rest. It's it's been really cool. That's
1: awesome. I love that.
0: Mm. <laughs> me too. <laughs>
1: Great. Well, where can people reach out to you if they want to hear more about your work or get in touch with you?
0: Yeah. So uh, if you are wanting to do some coaching work with me on burnout recovery, I have a uh, business page for that. It's uh, the website is business of thriving. And that is where all my coaching uh, services resides. And you can follow my Instagram, which is at Monica Helvey, LMFT. And that's where I sort of post all my what's happening and um, Tips and tricks and all that stuff. So, yeah. Great.
1: Well, certainly reach out. You know, I think yeah. I hope to keep in touch too, because I think we have a lot of uh, similar things that we're doing. So maybe we'll look out for something in the future together. That would yeah, be so fun.
0: Let's collab. That would be so yeah. fun. <laughs> I would love it. Yeah. Same. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks again.
1: Thank you for listening to the Joy After Burnout podcast. Be the first to hear new episodes by following the podcast in your podcast player. This is an informational podcast only. Any information expressed by the host or guest is not a substitute for legal, medical, or financial advice.